Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Maximum more. Punch it. Punch it. Punch it, Bishop! Punch it. Punch that shit! Let's punch it. Hello, everybody. This is Punch It! Writing in Star Trek, episode 50. I'm your co-host, Tristan Riddell, and with me today is... John Mills! That's right, John Mills, not Charlene Schmidt. Charlene Schmidt is taking a wee bit of a sabbatical, uh, but she will be back very, very soon. And I wanted to invite my good friend, John Mills, who is a uh, co-host on the network on Aggressive Negotiations as well as Great Shot Kids are two Star Wars shows on the network. And so he is he's a uh, he's also a host of Stage 9 on Trek.fm which is a Star Trek show. So he see he, ha- he has the Star Trek cred. I I try to I try to be there with the Star Trek cred. I if Star is in the title the odds are I'm there. What about um what about Starfighter? So last Starfighter, sure. Last sure. Starfighter, yeah, big yeah, fan, yeah, yeah, big yeah. fan, big fan. Yeah. Would you start a podcast on Last Starfighter? I, I would maybe do a min, like a Last Starfighter minute. I'd do that, sure. Oh man, that you know that what? Is, that would be a good. I think uh, I, I'd a, listen to that. Yeah, it's an eighties time capsule, man. That thing is pretty great. I love it. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on. We've had you on before, and that was when we were just writing in pop culture, and we wrote, I think, a pretty interesting Star Wars movie. Uh, yes, we did actually, and uh, I'm actually I'm really excited uh, with the with the more Star Trek focus because I I like the direction that you guys have gone and uh, what you're exploring with it, and uh, so I, I'm excited to do this. Thanks for having me on, man. Well, I uh, you and I are good friends, and it's always uh, I always look for an excuse to podcast with you. And uh, last week we talked about story arcs, and the week before that we talked about bottle shows. And this week, we got nothing. We got nothing. Uh, it's 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 fresh. It's it's the whiteboard. The whiteboard mm-hmm. is completely empty. We wiped it down, and uh, we're just turning on the mics, and we're gonna see what we can do because I want to write a Star Trek story from scratch. I have no idea if it's gonna be an episode, if it's gonna be a movie, if it's gonna be a short story, a novella, or what, or a book idea, or an outline, or something completely fleshed out because. This is one of my favorite things about podcasting, especially podcasting with somebody as seasoned as you and as someone as in sync I am with you. Just turn on the mics and see what happens. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to write a Star Trek story from scratch. We have not talked about anything before. Just like just like when Shar's on, we have not talked about what show we're going to do, what era we're going to do, who we're going to focus on, or what the story is going to be about. And so from here on out, we are writing it on the fly. But before we do that, I want to thank you guys for listening and thank you for subscribing. And if you have any show topics, now that we're Star Trek focused, if you have anything that you want us to talk about, 
anything that's been tickling your brain that you think, hey, Shar and Tristan would be good to talk about this, go to thenerdparty.com slash contact and fill out the form, select punch it. It'll send us an email right to our doorstep. And uh, you can find out where we are on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just by going to thenerdparty.com. You can also select all of our back catalog as well as find out all of our other shows. And if you like what we're doing here, please go to iTunes. Give us a review. If you give us five stars, we'll mention you on the show. Now, John. Yes. John. Yes. So, I because you're the guest, oh. where, where, do you, where do you want to go with this? Where... where what era like is there an era that kind of sticks out in your brain where there's this like you know what i want to revisit that era we haven't talked about that a lot or do you have a favorite show that you want to talk about what what is creeping into your brain you know uh, something that crept into my brain specifically because here we are we're at the mid-season finale of star trek discovery and so everybody's been talking about discovery everybody's very discovery focused and they've had some really great writing and Something that crept into my brain, though, was there have been people who have voiced, why are they doing it in this era? Why aren't they doing it in the post-Star Trek VI era? Because that's rife mm-hmm. with possibilities. And I thought about that for a split second before I uh, you know, jumped on here with you. What do you think about an idea that would somehow explore the fate of Admiral Cartwright and Lieutenant Valeris post-Star <laughs> Trek VI? And I'm I'm talking about I'm open to any idea from because inspired by Kemp Powers, uh, the playwright who has been in the writers' room for Star Trek Discovery. Anything from like a two-person play to a two-hour TV movie to what have you. What do you think about exploring that? Oh, geez. Well, I'm I'm I immediately latched onto it just now because I never in a million years have ever considered it. Not once. I this, this is not something that when on a lazy Sunday afternoon while I was reading a book, I never looked up at the <laughs> uh, uh, up at the sky and thought, "What happened to Admiral Cartwright and Valeris?" You know, like what? Why haven't we explored that? I mean, and we as Star Trek fans are it's so ingrained in us to think about every little thing. I think it's even worse for Star Wars fans where. It's like like somebody who yeah. like some alien that was on screen for five seconds, and you're just like, I want to know his or her backstory. I want to know who like where did he come from? Where's he going? And uh, what's his mother like? And <laughs> with, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least with Valeris and Cartwright, we've seen them over uh, Cartwright over multiple movies, and um, yeah. and so I I'm not as versed in the novels as some other people on the network or some other some of our other friends so i have no idea if this has been explored or not if it yeah. has uh feel free to write us feel 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 free to find us on twitter or facebook and let us know if uh it has been explored i know that memory beta is a good resource for that uh but so i the play idea i that's well yeah that i mean i'm out. just thinking star trek has a, a great tradition of you know discovery you know being antithetical to this uh, of doing it as inexpensively as possible right but i also am thinking in terms of the fact that a stage play you can literally have it as bare as possible and it's the only thing i think that trek in a pop culture fashion hasn't really broken into i I, you know there are plenty of things that haven't you know broken onto the stage performance and everything but trek has been on 
you know, the Carol Burnett show, or it's been mocked on Saturday Night Live, or it's, you know, had the TV shows, it's had the movies, it's had all of this stuff. Stage is just a different forum that you could be in, and mm-hmm. you could have a really intimate drama that really continues to explore and drill down. I mean, Admiral Cartwright, when we meet him in Star Trek Four, seems like a pretty stand-up guy. You know, like he's 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 cool, he's heroic. And then when you come back to him in Star Trek Six, you know, he's not a pleasant person anymore. <laughs> what happened? I mean, like this could be a great, maybe they're on the, the prison, sh- you know, the, the ship going off to trial or something like that. And they're co-defendants or they're going to be representing themselves. And the discussion has to break out. Why did you, enli- you know, Valeris, why did you enlist me in this? Why did you talk me into this? And, you know, Cartwright's point of view could be, I'm the logical one here and I simply showed that to you and then you can I mean you could have something that would just be an exploration of how reasoning can go wrong find out where Cartwright's reasoning broke down where Valeris's reasoning broke down and their logic is flawed well I think we can uh, I think we can tackle that uh, I my my knee jerk my gut instinct is to not uh, hold us to the stage play idea let's not craft the idea and say like, oh, well, we can't do that if it's a stage play. Let's craft the idea, and then after we're done with it, see if it can be converted okay, into sure. a stage play. So let's, yeah. t- like, um, okay, so I don't have a better idea, so let's just go ahead and t- let's go down this road. Okay. This uh, this road, as some people say. Uh, <laughs> so I like, I like it when stories pick up right where they left off. I'm mm-hmm. talking um, where... We're at the uh, we're at the location. The assassination has been uh, diverted, uh, or mm-hmm. averted, I should say, not diverted. And uh, so, Valeris is in custody. Cartwright is in custody. Are they in custody together? Would they want them to be in custody together? Well, this is this is the thing: is the the portrayal of Federation justice has been somewhat inconsistent. And I, I don't mean in terms of like whether they have the death penalty or anything. I just mean in terms of how they process people through the legal system i think if we're picking up immediately afterward yes they'd be in custody together they would be i because you're you're dealing with a fluid situation where there's just been an assassination attempt things are crazy there's been a battle in orbit just get them out of the picture and put them in something and ship them off i mean my first question if we're picking up immediately afterward is are they going to stay on the planet or are they shipping them up to Excelsior, they're obviously not going to send them to Enterprise because right, Enterprise right. is second start of the right and straight on till morning. It, does this become a first mission after Star Trek Six for Captain Sulu to take them back to Starfleet HQ? I like that a lot. I, I really dig that where they're on Excelsior instead of Enterprise. And th- I like the idea of them being in the brig together where they're like okay mm-hmm. you're you're on your way to earth you're on your way to the to the nearest starbase or something like that and i i like the idea of cartwright in one cell valeris in another where they can see each other and talk to each other but they can't get to each other they can't touch each other they can't yeah you know be in the same be in the same they're in the same room but on the same space and this also allows us to have multiple people come in yes uh throughout where like if we did want to make this the 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 stage play idea where that this is our main set 
and people can come in as they like we could have sulu come in and leave we could have random crewman number two come in and say like because of what you did you know like you know someone i know or whatever like you know we were at battle with the klingons because of this reason something like that what what if what if we found out that there was a sympathizer on Mm. excelsior and maybe that that could even be a dramatic driver for the plot to keep things moving is this person checks in every so often with an offer of, I can find a way to get you free. I can try to get you out of here. And that can move the story along. That can be sort of like a, our time lock to give us a, a you know, a, a limit on act breaks and stuff like that. You're just a good idea machine tonight. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm digging that because there needs to be a driving force. It just, it can't just be a conversation. Like there needs to be some sort of drama behind it beyond the philosophical it needs to be something in the actual where you know like we need to do this and this or we need to we need to bide our time because of the ticking clock and that ticking clock is if this ensign can get us out and if this ensign can get us out where do we go is it even worth getting out what's the point of getting out Mm -hmm. because we'd have to leave federation space Right. What's beyond, you know, like what's beyond Federation space? Do we go, um, you know, do we do we hide on a, a some moon somewhere where where it's within Federation space? It's not like, like we can go to the Klingon space, you know? Yeah. No, I, I like where you're going with that. I really like where you're going with that. I even is there. Ah, you see the thing. I guess this wouldn't work, but I, I'm going to throw the idea out there anyway. But we know that we also have and I, I always forget his name. The guy that. uh Rene Abergenois played in Star Trek VI, uh, mm-hmm. Colonel oh, West, Colonel West, and he is dead. Would there be any conceivable reason for that body to be like in a stasis field near them in the brig or something like that so that we could have – there probably isn't. This is probably a reach. Yeah, I think he would be in, he would be in sickbay. He'd be in the morgue. Yeah. He'd be in stasis there. Is there a morgue on a Star Trek? ship i don't think it's technically a morgue but there is i know that on um on the enterprise d there was a place where they would put dead bodies why wouldn't they just put them in a like a holding buffer pattern in the transporter so that they wouldn't use space well that wasn't necessarily a a thing until relics and even then like it was it was okay out of the norm you know okay yeah all right all right no fair enough fair enough okay so uh, yeah i Yes. Okay. So, so Colonel West is not, his body is not there, but we have this crewman coming in. How high up in the rank do we want the crewman to be? The, I want do the we want an, to be. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, do we want bridge crew? I don't, I, that by, I think that would make things too easy. Okay. Right. You know, like if it was the security chief or the XO or the science officer, if it was somebody on the bridge crew, I feel like, they would have too much access. It wouldn't be that difficult, right? Right. You're absolutely right. It would also potentially create another continuity error like Voyager did uh, with the the bridge crew who is alive at the end of Star Trek VI unless you watch the pan and scan version, and that's why they killed him in the Voyager episode. Um, (laughs) When you found out that Tuvok was on the uh, Excelsior Bridge, um, the, the crewman dies in the episode, but if you watch the uh, proper aspect ratio for Star Trek Six, he he's right there on screen left. So you know, <laughs> it's all right. 
Oh, what do you say? What are you talking about? Voyager never had any continuity issues. Oh, Star that's, Trek, that's, and it's an entire seven billion episode history has never had a continuity error. Silly me. That's insane. That's yeah. insane. <laughs> okay, so uh, okay, so what what spurs them to even talk to each other? Like Cartwright and Valeris have got to know that whatever they say is going to be recorded. It can be used against them. What could possibly spur the discussion between them? Do we have Valeris angry? Do we have her Vulcan facade collapse in this moment? And that's what, you know, her anger spurs the conversation initially. Do we, rem- did we, did we ever see Valeris's true motivation? Did we ever find uh, that out? Yes. At the end, she said, how trustworthy could they be? They conspired with us to kill their own leader. Or words to that effect. If I'm misquoting, please, please forgive me. But uh, it, it is words to that effect before Spock does the mind meld with her. She basically says, you all felt this way. You all agreed that they mm-hmm. couldn't be trusted. And how trustworthy could they be? They conspired with us, you know, to, okay, to so kill the head of their own government. So it was it was truly out of loyalty to the Federation then. So these people see themselves right. as loyalists. Yeah, right. she absolutely does. And Cartwright's reasoning in the beginning is... Without that border, without that frontier, in his exact words, Klingons would become the alien trash of the galaxy. He yeah. he doesn't trust them, and he thinks that the Klingons would just, you know, gum up the works and mess up the joint if you... if He said, our, our opportunity here is to bring them to their knees. He wants to wipe them out before they become a problem. I like that. I like that. Uh, and he also hits that... Uh, that that line uh so great he's like i must protest just yes the, just the way it's just ah oh, such a, an amazing actor um so okay i okay i like i like the idea of these two perspectives where they're both loyalists to the federation they believe they're doing what's right this is not these are not bad people twirling their mustache right this is um this is more like section 31 bs going on behind the scenes where they're doing what they think is right out of autonomy to protect the Federation. And so Cartwright, I, I like the idea of Cartwright and Valeris having the same uh, same ideas but different goals or vice versa, where Cartwright wants to take it a, a step further, like you talked about, where bring the Klingons to their knees, where maybe Valeris just wants the Klingons to, to go away. Like she does, yes. doesn't want them in the Federation. And maybe that's always been a point of contention between the two of them where maybe one or the other or both believes that because like maybe Cartwright believes that this is Valeris's fault because she didn't truly commit. She didn't commit to the eradication yes. of the Klingons, just their absence. I completely I'm down with that because you can have as your discussion starter immediately Cartwright just spinning on her. And saying, I should have gotten somebody else in that position. You you said you would deliver, and I knew, you know, ju- just to your point that you just said, you weren't in this. You weren't in this for the the right reasons, for the long haul. And that start that spurs up the whole discussion. That becomes an immediate reminder to the audience of what their specific motivations are. So we get that right out there at the start of the conversation and, and go from there. Yeah, that's the... Okay, there you go. Like, that's the opening. That is where we, like... So it's like they're brought in, they're brought in by security into uh, into the brig. And is Sulu there or does Sulu come later? Sulu's got to come later. Sulu's got to okay. be, 
I I really I really want to give the beginning of this, I, I or whatever our act structure is. I want to give Act One to them. This is their time to shine, lay everything out, the stakes, what drove them, any other additional reasons, and then Sulu needs to come in later because I would love to see a scene of Sulu coming in and expressing disappointment with Valeris sort of on behalf of Spock. He's sort of being Spock's proxy, mm. but then turning to Cartwright and saying, I looked up to you. You were you were a captain when I, enli-, you know, however we want to lay it out, where he he can give us even more history because I, I believe our first introduction to Cartwright at all is Star Trek Four. We can get some of Cartwright's history through Sulu, a listing of his accomplishments and why he became Admiral, and we can raise the stakes for what level of betrayal it is. He's not just some random background Admiral. Let's build him up. Let's have Sulu talk about this list of accomplishments he had as a peacemaker even and say, like, what happened with mm-hmm. you? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I I think that's interesting using Sulu as the uh, as Captain Exposition, but of course not in an obvious way. But it's uh, and that's also something that can bleed in. Like maybe it's something that Valeris constantly hints at, you know, throughout Act One. Mm-hmm where Valeris keeps talking about an event like you were you were the captain of Antietam or something like that or like you were the right. captain of um I'm not good at making up Star Trek words. No, I like <laughs> Antietam. I like Antietam. Okay. I really do. That's uh you know because I grew up in the area where that battle was. So I, I like that. <laughs> I like that. So like you know like he was uh, like you were the you were the captain of Antietam and like like you like how could I don't know? You know like she just keeps referencing referencing this one event about how it was a defining moment of his career, and yeah. and the the audience is like, what the hell happened there? And I know you don't like this movie, <laughs> but it's it's kind of like the Patriot with Mel Gibson. No, I don't like that movie. You're right. <laughs> you, You're absolutely you very right. Much don't like this movie. I yeah. love this movie. Where um, I can't. I think it's it's something. It's people keep referencing. I know what you did at Fort such and such, Fort Sumter or whatever. I don't, it's not Sumter. Um, no. But like, I, it's really not Fort Sumter. Uh, yeah. But like, I know what you did at Fort such and such. And like his his son doesn't even know what he did and says like, everywhere we go, people buy you drinks because of what you did at this place. And they know you better than I do. And yeah. uh, he just refuses to tell his son about it. And then finally at the end, we figure out what it is. I kind of like that idea where maybe Valeris doesn't even know. Maybe, Ooh. maybe Ooh, that's, I like that. Maybe I Cartwright, like that. Ref, like he, that's what Cartwright won't talk about. Where Valeris is like, some people think it's because of what happened here. Is that true? And he refuses to answer. And then Sulu comes in in Act Two and just completely blares it out because he has insider knowledge or something like that. What I want, I love this. I love this. It's something he doesn't talk about. I want something on the level of. But I don't want lost a son or a daughter at a certain battle with the Klingons. Been done to death. 
what other traumatic sort of thing. Cisco lost a wife, and uh-huh. I don't want anybody losing a son. Kirk lost David, and so I think daughter is also out in that category. What what could it be? What could be the driving the driving moment? Because what I see is I see this as a um, like a two face coin, where half of this memory is a scar, and the other half of it is what got him his, his admiralty. He had to do something, and in the process, he lost something, and that scar is what drove him to eventually be at this point. What? Okay, I uh, like. Okay, I'm just kind of spitballing here. I'm just kinda, sure, sure. Just a. Uh, um, so, what if I, I don't want to say like, oh, lost a ship or something like that, because Lorca just talked about that in Discovery, and right. that maybe maybe that's why it's fresh in my brain. What if he was. Ah, you know, like it's something to do with a cloak or something to do Ooh. with uh, where like he had the opportunity to like uh, d- like disable, not disable the cloak, but like render the cloak obsolete and he wasn't able to do it. And ha- I don't I don't know what you sound like. You got something. You're, no, no, no. I, I'm keying off of that. He was part of let I mean, wh- what about this? Let's layer it this way. He was part of a delegation that was going to discuss something with the Klingons. Some, not a treaty, not like a Camp Kittimer thing, but something that's a, a smaller echo of that. And his his first officer like got white, like he lost a lot of his crew or something. Maybe even because, and this could be an interesting wrinkle, a cloaked ship was hiding there and ambushed them. And so we then see that echo play out in in Star Trek Six's plot line where they have a cloaked ship hiding underneath something that 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 makes this uh, you know that this whole process go wrong uh, that's a little too close I guess but what do you think about that idea that he was actually given the Admiralty because he wound up saving a ton of lives but it was because the Klingons double played them he got out of a Kobayashi Maru basically mm-hmm. uh, but he lost a lot of people along the way and so it it bakes in this basic distrust of the Klingons in any peace treaty situation. I I like that because it ties in peace is not possible in yeah. Cartwright's mind because we tried that once we tried that several times before and it's like a, I lost a ship or I lost a lot of people or maybe I lost my command crew or something like that. Like let's do that. Let's do that where yeah. he doesn't lose a ship. He doesn't lose a ship, but the bridge is destroyed on his ship. And so we make it somehow analogous where he talks to like the like the Enterprise D, like to the next generation where like he talks about his security chief. He talks about his science officer. He talks about his XO. And he's like, I was with these people for seven years. And we pick that number specifically. I was with these people for seven years. And I didn't lose my ship, but I lost my command crew because of a cloaked vessel. And do we want to add in there as well that there was an admiral as part of the delegation who died in it? And yeah. so so basically it wasn't just his command crew, but he actually lost the person he was in charge of making sure. Like this person's safety was one of the tantamount parts of the mission. And so it's a failure that he carries with him. It's something that's burned into him. I well, okay. Well, or is I think that we're, we we might be skirting the line of 
ob- okay. absolute failure. If he loses, if he loses the the peace mission, he loses the protection of the admiral, and he loses his bridge crew. Why would he get promoted? Why is there a win there? I think great point. He, great point. He loses peace. He saves the admiral, and but he loses his bridge crew because of how he saved the admiral. But the admiral is so grateful that he makes a, he recommends him for a promotion or something like that. Oh, and what if, what if it's not just that like everybody died, but he still, you know, warped off with the ship. What if he warps off, but something along the way, like there, something in the atmosphere was turned toxic by a radiation leak or something like that. And that's, and he wind, he wound up being sick too. So it's not that everybody got wiped out with a torpedo hit to the bridge, except for him. It's, it's not the selective uh, survivor that Star Trek tends to be a little bit fond of, where everybody died but me at this bomb. But it's something where they thought they got away clean, but everybody... But um, No, I don't, I'm going to walk that back. I don't like that. It, I don't like that. That might be too complicated. Like, yeah, that might you're be, right. Like, we got to think of it, you know, like, with Cart... Like, once suit... Like, because, like, it, it, this is the situation that he won't talk about, that it's, yeah. you know, like, this is... This is need to know eyes only classified material, and but Sulu is the one who kind of brings it out of him at the end. It's got to be it's got to be something simple and to the heart. Yes, uh, you're you're absolutely right, and that is an added pain that he carries along with him. Is he's never allowed because it could potentially lead to war with the Klingons. He's never allowed to publicly acknowledge the death of his crew, the real reason for the death of his crew. There's some Ew. cover story that he has to carry around with him. I like that where they're like, they want to, they want to keep peace open. With, oh yeah. Okay. This ties back yeah. to the Federation about like why he's a little pissed at Starfleet, but yes. yet he still needs to protect the Federation where Starfleet did not let him um, like uh, the Starfleet, the crew who died, like the, maybe the crew who died didn't get medals because they had to rule it as an accident. Yes. And and so he couldn't talk about it. The real reason why they died to their families and also to the universe, because Starfleet and Federation were still hopeful for peace with the Klingons. And so they did not want it to taint the vision of the public, like the, the vision of the Klingons to the public and say, yeah. like, like, oh, yeah, like the like the Klingons did this. But you see where I'm going with this? I do. I completely see where you're going with that. And as an added insult um, they they wind up setting up a situation wherein not only can he not acknowledge it, not only does he have to give this cover story, but it is something where and he and he can specifically say that he learned at that moment that the Federation didn't understand the the necessity of its own survival, and they chalked it up to a renegade faction of Klingons. Like the cover story was oh, well, it was Klingons that didn't believe in the peace process. And so you wind up seeing something where you could even make the argument that Starfleet, being Starfleet, said, oh, it was renegade Klingons. They they didn't have anything to do with it. In a sense, they're almost gaslighting him. That's not the cover story. They're saying to him, oh, well, it was renegade Klingons. You can't blame the Klingons. But he's saying, no, this is what all Klingons are like. You can't trust any of them. And so you see the divergence of the worldview right there. And you can also apply that to current thinking as well, where we, you know, we talk about the parable, we talk about how it can relate yeah. to our own lives. Absolutely. I think, okay, I think this is a great place for Cartwright. We figure out his motivations. We tease it for the entire act. 
And yeah. we like he showcases a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, not just to the Klingons, but also to the Federation and where it comes out as a double-edged sword where she's like, if you're so frustrated with the Federation, if you're so angry at Starfleet, why are you intent on saving it? And, you know, we explain those, we explain that motivation. Then we need to move on. Like we do need to talk about Valeris a little bit. Of course. More. Yes. So uh, no, we, I, we absolutely do. How, how did he possibly talk her into this? I feel like now that we've gotten a little bit of backstory from Discovery about how the Vulcans, you know, um, interacted mm. with the Klingons immediately where they realized that, like, the Vulcans shot first and they realized, like, because they understood that the only way, the only language that the Klingons understand is violence. What if Valeris comes for that, from that same kind of thinking where, like, that was... Um, you know that was uh that was a long time that was centuries ago or right. i don't know how long ago it was and that was a long time ago it was before and, discovery which is before star trek 6 so it's long enough ago yeah um so like that's no longer the rule of law now like outright conflict doesn't work we're now in and forgive me for being so obvious but we're now in much more of a cold war setting mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and so because of that like there needs to be more subterfuge we still use violence but it's not violence in the open. It's violence to cripple them. Because that's I, the true Klingon weakness. I don't know. No, I, I, I love that. I love that specifically because I don't, I don't want to get... And I, I was finding myself getting locked in the mindset of, well, I'm writing this as if it's 1991. No, I like the fact that we are bringing Discovery into it because I like the idea that we're, we're doing this now and we can bring that piece of the Vulcan hello... Because I know mm-hmm. that was somewhat controversial with some fans, but I actually dig it because the Vulcans, you know, if you follow logic to its, you know, extreme conclusion, you know, my extreme logical conclusion is you have to punch the Klingons first to get them to listen to you. Okay. Like, I like working that in, but it's not enough of a personal reason for Valeris to go with it. Like, she could see, because she's on the crew, and if her captain says, no, we don't do the Vulcan hello, She's not going to mutiny, but like uh, Burnham did, that lesson has been learned. So what mm-hmm. could there? What personal leverage could there be? And I don't want her family killed by whatever. <laughs> I don't. No, you know, no. I I want to steer clear of that. Is there something? Because Spock is her mentor. It's got to be Sp- Spock related. I feel Spock like, yeah, introduced her to Cartwright at some point. Ah. Uh... I think, I think, I like the idea of him introducing them, or because, like, because of a Spock Cartwright connection, that's how he found Valeris. But we, that still doesn't talk about her fundamental viewpoints. I think we need to focus on that. Okay. Yes. Yes. So her fundamental viewpoint. We have to reconstruct where where she gets to which is they they're not trustworthy so There's, do we uh, how much do we want the fact that valeris was supposed to be savic influence our development of this character i want it to be not at all okay i don't i don't i don't want it to make it savic light um because that that gives short shrift to the character i want to use this opportunity to give her a full history and a full sense of purpose. I don't want this to remain as, eh, we changed her name because she we couldn't get Kirstie Alley back. I want this to be 
there was something, and I don't, you know what? I don't even want it to be traumatic. She was first of all, no, I don't either. At, at the top of her class, so there's got to be something where she, there's nothing tragic that happened, but it was something in her studies. Maybe, maybe there's a thing about you know she studied the Klingons and got to this conclusion that the only way you were ever going to have peace with the Klingons was if you brought you know you had oh wait a minute what if she's like a history student and she has learned because they they have because spock and valeris have the specific discussion do you not recognize that we're at a turning point sir history is replete with turning points valeris you must have faith that the universe will unfold as it should so maybe there is something in her studies something that she stumbled across where she has become convinced that when an opportunity like praxis presents itself she doesn't say, let's talk about peace. She says, all throughout history, the, the way to peace is to bring the enemy to a dead standstill. What if it's her, and I, I like this, I like this, but like you kept talking about studies and history, and what's one big thing that we know about the history of the Klingons? What is like so much of their culture based on that is so unique to the Star Trek universe? And that's their love of Kalis. Oh, yes. What if yes. she finds so much contempt in the religious? And it's not just Ooh. it's not just a spirituality because Vulcans are very spiritual. Um it's it, they're very philosophical, but with the Klingons, they're fanatical. They've started wars and civil wars and they've done disgusting rituals all in the name of Kalis. And what if she, what if she's the one who, when Praxis happened, she realized logically the Starfleet is gonna give aid to the Klingon Empire. This is this is that turning point, like you said. Praxis is the turning point. She recognizes that that's the turning point, but she understands in her own way. She understands that there is no um, reasoning with a fanatically religious sect built on domination of, an, of another species. Yes, I love that idea. I love that idea because that gives us the opportunity to explore also religious tolerance and those sorts of things. And let's layer on there, and again, this gives us our, our conflict between Cartwright and Valeris. Cartwright's goal was make them bow, bring them to their knees. Her goal was... No, we're not gonna we're not gonna kill them. We're not gonna wipe them out. We're gonna let them wipe themselves out. We're going to trigger the civil war that they mm -hmm. need. We will get them to that point and then we'll pull back and then we'll mop up once they have wiped each other out. Because so we're it, not the animals. They right. are. Right. She she's gonna yes, because and that would be, so that would be consistent with her worldview. They're they're vicious beings that live to fight and kill let them do it and then we can come in and the galaxy will be a better place and we'll you know whoever survives fine whatever we'll you know we'll give them aid or whatever but they'll have substantially weakened themselves with collapse and civil war i love that i love that because we've got something where the two people seem to be in sync but there's their divergence right there so how do we resolve it all how do we bring it together at the end so that we have our moral lesson do we redeem either one of these people I think Cartwright's beyond redemption. Do we give Valeris any hope that her, her view can be 
mitigated or redeemed? Or do we just say both of these people are broken and they got to go away? That doesn't seem very Star Trek. I think I, I like your instinct of saying Cartwright is too far gone. He's too broken of a man. He's too, he's lost too much. He's put too much on the line. He's a man at the end of his career. You know, like he realizes that there are more, there are less years ahead of him than behind. With Valeris, she's still young. She's fresh out of the academy. Now, obviously, her career is done. Um, yeah. She's gone. She's going to be in prison for a very long time. Um, if not forever, I'm not quite sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, according to Discovery. Right. Uh, I feel like this might not be enough. This might not be enough closure, but let me know what you think of it. So Cartwright is the is the bring them to their knees, you know, like a let them be destroyed, the very much let them die. Yes. Uh, kind of, you know, like kind, kind of, uh, and but push it along viewpoint. Valeris is, we need to separate ourselves from them. We're not the animals. Let them destroy themselves. Let them die. Um, but, like, it's the two factions of Cartwright is, um, we need to control them so that they don't become the trash of the galaxy. Valeris is, we need to leave them alone and so that they do their own thing and destroy themselves. And then that's the battle back and forth. And it just, like, it's two philosophical ideologies going back and forth and we know that there really is no winning against these right. two like w- you know like what what's going to happen like um you know like uh, it was you know like i think one notion that we talked about was cartwright said you didn't commit enough like valerius you didn't commit enough and that's why we failed and then maybe at the end she realizes that yeah you know like she's the reason why they're in these cells the reasons why they didn't win quote unquote win is because she gave it up she she gave up the information now granted she was forced by spock to give up the information but she could have easily done more to get to move on or to not get caught or to uh to be careful to be smarter and but what if she just says the words maybe i was wrong at the end and that blows Mm. cartwright away because Vulcans never admit that, and he's never heard Valeris ever even remotely come close to admitting that she was wrong. I like it. I like it a lot because it brings us to a point where we have a character have that realization, and we could even close on that and leave it open for a part two down the road. And so this, after this, it, this starts off as this specific story is Cartwright and Valeris, at the end of it, Valeris has the turning point, and we leave it open for another Valeris story. Cartwright's done. This is his coda. Yeah, he's This done. is part one for Valeris the rest of her life. I, I like love that. that idea. I like it. I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, there Sold. you go. Uh, what do we What do we call this sucker? Like, what What's the title of this two act play? Oof. <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, now, I, do we... You know what? Let's open the floor. Let's have people. Respond on Facebook. What should we call this? Absolutely. Yes. I love, I'm glad that you've mentioned that because I love it when we get the listeners involved. So everyone, please go to facebook.com slash the nerd party. Let us know there or let us know on Instagram at the nerd party or find us on Twitter at join nerd party. Or as mentioned before, you can go to the nerdparty.com slash contact, select punch it from the drop down menu, fill out the form. Let us know what you think it should be called and we'll reveal it on next week's episode. John, thank you so much for coming on. Where can we find you online? 
Well, thank you for having me. You can find me as Kessel Junkie out there online, as you mentioned at the top of the show. Here on the network, you can hear me on Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing, a Star Wars podcast of a slightly different sort. You can hear me on Great Shot Kid with Mike Schindler and Stage 9 on Trek FM with Mike Schindler. And you can also hear me over on Words with Nerds with my pal Craig, where we're just weekly zany uh, nerd zoo type of show. Where can people find you, Tristan? Oh, man, nowhere near as many places as you. You can find me <laughs> on this show, but you can also find me on my other show called Nerd Nuptial, which is a, a, a podcast that I host with my wife where we talk about married life through a nerd lens. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And uh, next week, it's a mystery. Uh, maybe we'll talk about something like story arcs or bottle shows, or maybe we'll uh, uh, write Star Trek on the fly again. But whatever we're going to do, we're going to punch it. Ready for warp, sir. Let's punch it. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.